As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back to Straight from the Source with Michael Russo. Uh, it's been a fun couple weeks from a podcast perspective. I had Sam Annis on last week. I had Alex Daylock and Zach Parisi the previous two weeks. And uh, very happy to be joined by the inaugural Straight from the Source guest. Uh, came from his basement back in September. Uh, right when I launched this podcast on the Athletic uh, Podcast Network. Uh, Bruce Brujo, how are you? Well, other than being um, a little bit bored, and uh, I'm fine healthy-wise. Yeah, we, we talked uh, the other day. I mean, you've this is the time where normally you would be absolutely transfixed on watching hockey, uh, hopefully coaching uh, hockey in the playoffs, but especially getting your hockey fix on on those off nights, uh, watching games on NHL Network, on NBC Sports Network. Uh, what possibly could you be doing right now with no hockey on TV? It's got to be just excruciating. <laughs> it is really uh, uh, out of the norm for my life, and I uh, can't remember the last time, uh, if ever, it's ever been uh, like this. But uh, uh, what I've been doing, you know, is uh, catching up on – uh, uh, hockey videos. Um, you know, we, we've gone through all our old videos, uh, at home here and just to see, Oh yeah, I remember that one in 98. <laughs> I remember that one in 2004, just to, to watch these things. And then, um, as far as other stuff going on, like you're trying to find my kids are phoning me and say, here's a new series you got to watch on TV and, and watch this and watch that. And, uh, that's what I've been trying to do to keep busy. What What are some of those shows? You know what? I watched Ozark. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. You know, it's funny because uh, per, somebody was telling me to watch it. And uh, I was talking to Jared Spurgeon about this a couple of days ago. And he and I are in the same way where we watched like the first five or six episodes and then just sort of stopped. Uh, um, but a lot of people tell me it's kind of slow at the start. 
<laughs> maybe the second uh, season one, second one was was slow. But when my kid told me it's like three seasons at at, at ten shows each, I watched thirty straight hours of it, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm an idiot. And uh, um, and yesterday my wife got mad at me because I started watching it again. Uh, I just think <laughs> it's it's just it gets you in there and you and you're. And you get right into it. I just thought it was great. And the funny thing, I mean, Jason Bateman's usually a, a, a comic. I mean, you, you watch him in so many different movies, Horrible Bosses and Arrested De- Development in terms of a TV show. And he, he plays that funny character. This one, he's far from that, right? He is. Uh, I don't think he laughs in the whole show, quite frankly. And he's so deadpan on everything. I mean, he's as mo- about as the most unemotional guy, but he gets things done. He's just all about business, and I guess he's an accountant by trade, not taking anything away by accountants, but that's <laughs> probably the way you would um, picture them as just all business and numbers, and that's what he is. And uh, we already have one gripe. I know that you are not a Tiger King fan, right? You know what? Everybody told me about it, and I watched it, and uh, I tried to uh, – I turned it off after the, the first episode, said this isn't it, but I get, kept getting – more people asking me and telling me that you got to watch this. I watched it, but I, I really couldn't get into the the actors. I mean, it was more of a documentary and everything, but it was, um, I just didn't find it anywhere near as interesting as I thought I would. Yep, and they are definitely, they, they are real people, which is scary, but they are actors. I mean, it is, it is uh, as crazy of a, a documentary as I think I've ever seen. Well, you know... <laughs> It's it's amazing. We don't realize that uh, no matter how bad things go in our life, that what other people are going through. And uh, uh, this shows you exactly what it's like in a different part of the world in way people act. And that's, you know, I never had a clue that there was that many uh, wild animals in captivity in the U.S., the first time I, I mean, I had no clue either that, that right, you know, next door to us could essentially be a giant big cat. Who knew? Um, but I remember I the first time I went to Brent Burns's house in uh, in this part of the uh, the metro that we are both in uh, today. Um, the first time I walked into his house and I saw the zoo that he had there and the giant snakes and things like that. I, I'm like, I, wow, I didn't know that people have this, too. <laughs> no. And uh, well, I don't know. Brent Burns is a great hockey player. But if you look at him, he looks like a guy that could have a lot of snakes in his basement. <laughs> and now he lives on a giant, giant, uh, essentially, I mean, he's, it's even more than a ranch. He basically lives in the wilderness in Texas. And, I mean, he, he does everything from, from you know, he has all sorts of wild animals there. Uh, you know, basically uh, fends for himself to get his own food and all that stuff. Um, really? Stuff that I'm sure. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, it, it actually would be a really good story. Um, in fact, the the NHL's uh, thinking of doing something uh, with him and a and a celebrity chef at one point. And it's funny. I'm I'm working on this story, Bruce, on on the league and how it's marketing these guys right now. Like Ovechkin sat down with Gretzky the other day for a really cool interview. Um, you know, PK Subban's been doing trivia contests and things like that. Um, it's been. Uh, pretty neat the way that that players have allowed um, the league and fans into their lives, into their homes, and this is something that maybe could have a lasting effect after uh, hockey returns. I think it's great. I, uh, uh, the more the people know about the real people behind the, the hockey, 
the better it is. I think their personalities come out and uh, uh, our sport needs as much uh, attention as, as it can get. And I think the NHL is doing it right. And, and I'm really happy that the players have uh, and opened up. Usually um, players are in the past have been pretty um, keeping it close to the vest and don't tell them, don't tell people much about themselves, but this is a, I think a real good thing. And I hope, I think it, uh, I hope it, it continues as well. And that's, that's hockey culture, right? I mean, that's been, it's sort of self-defeating. I mean, but it's also why we revere these guys. Uh, you know, it's always a team first attitude, uh, not me, me, me. And they always seem to be resistant to kind of letting their personality shine. Well, that has been uh, forever. And that's why, like um, the 24 seven series by HBO, which was so enlightening to everybody because you, you got a chance to see the behind the scenes uh, actions of, of players and the way coaches and everybody re, uh, interact, uh, I thought was great. I mean, and when they started and when NBC uh, started insisting that we do these um, in between period uh, interviews on the bench, even if it's for 30 seconds or what uh, it, it was, you know, we resisted at first, but found out that it's become a great thing. And uh, I, I love watching it in other sports and listening to the coaches. There's, you know, I mean, when they do it in baseball, they, they have the, the, uh, the managers in the, in the dugout for almost the whole inning talking to them. Um, I don't think you could do it in hockey because the game goes too fast, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's pretty enlightening. We're uh, talking with Bruce Boudreaux. This is Straight from the Source with Michael Russo. To subscribe to The Athletic, please subscribe at theathletic.com slash straight from the source. You'll get 40% off. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Bruce, um, we did a thing at The Athletic where four, all 400 of us writers um, took a list of probably 500 different sports movies, um, cut it down to finalists, and then a panel of about 120 people voted on the top 100 sports movies of all time. I thought that you would be perfect for this uh, type of uh, thing because you are a movie buff. I mean, you've been that way for your one of my favorite stories I wrote on you in the Star Tribune was when we just discussed uh, old movies that you were a big fan of. What are some of your favorite um, uh, movies, uh, all time sports movies to start? Um, I'll, I'll tell you right now, the top five in our final voting was Rocky, uh, Raging Bull, Hoop Dreams, Bull Durham. And let me tell you the fifth one it was Miracle. Miracle over mm-hmm. Slapshot. Well, Flap, I think Slapshot came in at 47. And if I recall, when I went through the list and and screamed at how stupid the list was. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's wrong. I mean, um, but uh, you know what? There, there was two movies that I really, really liked that weren't on there. And the big Lebowski was on there and they had a mention of bowling and that was it. So, I mean, I don't know how you could classify that as a a sports movie. Granted, it was very quotable and it's a good movie, but it's not a sports movie. But the the movies, like I loved the replacements and, Mm -hmm. um, and with Keanu Reeves and the reason I loved it, I mean, it, it, when you do pump up videos and that there are so many good quotes in there that you can cut off and you can just use it from that movie. And, and I thought that was really good. And being a Notre Dame fan, they, uh, they didn't have Newt Rockne all American or, or um, they didn't have the Jim Thorpe story too, which I thought was a really good movie. Granted when they make movies in the forties and fifties, they, they jump from scene to scene in an awful hurry and they don't tell you the whole thing gist but as far as 
movie going going it was uh it was entertaining the uh for the record slapshot was 16 by the way i'm uh, oh, i'm on the okay. list right now <laughs> um but tell me about i mean we've talked about it so often bruce but for for people around the league uh that are listening to this podcast i mean t- uh, let's discuss slapshot and what that was like to um one be part of it but to have your apartment that you lived in uh being such a main focal point of the movie well, the good thing about my apartment being in there, it was the first time all year it was cleaned. Um, <laughs> so that made me feel good. But, I mean, it was a it was a funny uh, way. I mean, the director, George Roy Hill, came into the dressing room and said, okay, we need, a, we need to shoot a scene with Paul in, in an apartment. Who's got the messiest, uh, ugliest apartment on the team? And everybody in unison turned and pointed to me. And that's how that apartment was was chosen. Because at 21, it was the first time away from, from home. I, you know, my mom did an awful lot of the work at home, and uh, I didn't. So it was telling. What um, what was it like actually being in the movie? You know what? It was it was very interesting because I would never have known how a major motion picture was done, and uh, wouldn't have guessed it how it was done. And uh, quite frankly, there's so much standing around and um, doing nothing. And I mean, the only the people that are uh, right in the action at that time are really being involved. Sometimes you got to sit around six and eight hours a day until your scene comes. And you got to stay. We had to stay in uniform. Um, I mean, obviously, we wouldn't keep the skates on all the time, but we had to have our uniforms because at any known minute, the director could say, "Okay, we're going to do the. John Gofton scene where he gets hit behind the net and pees his pants. And so you had to be ready to jump in at any moment's notice there. And and uh, so we were, but it was really exciting how they they got to the actual scenes and you saw how it was done and it's perfect. Uh, the directors wanted it from every angle. I, I thought it was really, really interesting. What what is your favorite? I mean, do you think Slapshot's the best hockey movie ever made? Um, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, I would have to say that. I mean, Miracle was great. I mean, um, Miracle, an emotional uh, type movie. This was a movie you you went to and <clears throat> you laughed and you said, "There's no chance hockey's like that." And then you sit back and you think, "Yeah, you know, it was like that. There was a lot about it that it was very similar." I mean. They probably went to a little bit of extremes and a few things, but um, back in the 70s, that's, you know, if you look at highlights of the brawls, whether it was the Broad Street Bullies or the Montreal-Quebec fight or any other major fights like that, there was a lot of that going on. And off the ice, it was just about let's practice and let's go to the bar, you know. I, I think um, I think Mighty Ducks came in as the third best uh, hockey movie on our list. Um, fourth was Youngblood, and fifth was Mystery Alaska, which is one of my favorite uh, sports movies. As mine, too. I mean, I loved Mystery Alaska, and the amount of stars that were in that movie I thought was great. Um, I thought Youngblood was pretty interesting. Mighty Ducks, um, I was a little in that, that I was at a tweener age sort of thing. I mean, I was too old to think it was silly, but I watched it a dozen, time with, dozen times with my kids, and the more you watch it, the more you enjoy it. 
Yeah, um, the one movie that didn't make our list was Goon. By the way, um, Goon. Uh, <laughs> the, the 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 star of that movie was Sean William Scott, who's actually from uh, a town that's right next to you, Cottage Cottage Grove. Oh wow! I mean, and he was yeah. great in American Pie and everything else. But I mean, Goon was not a very good movie. <laughs> I gotta admit. <laughs> It's funny. I, I still remember sitting at the Chateau Champlain in, in Montreal, and I wanted to do a column on Goon, uh, mostly because, again, the star was Sean William Scott is from Minnesota. And I'm sitting at the at my desk at the in my hotel room and the phone rings and it was Sean William Scott calling me back. And I did a big feature on uh, on that movie and him as a person and all that stuff. Couldn't have been a nicer guy. Absolutely cool, dude. That would be so cool. I mean, uh um, if, if you get a chance to meet those guys, I mean, you know, we have our sport and there's people that admire us and, but like, I mean, for me right now, I would, I would see Jason Begg from Chicago PD. He's my biggest, I'm his biggest fan. I think he's the best, uh, uh, on TV right now. Um, it's funny. Uh, uh so I was on the super troopers two set with Eric Stolhansky once when they were filming that and Rob Lowe's in that movie. And so I'm like, I got to go talk to him about being in Youngblood. And so the, I go up to him to introduce myself. And the only thing I could think of is so at, when I worked at the Star Tribune, he's still there. We had a hockey writer named Kent Youngblood. And he had this. And this is what I say to Rob Lowe, which it was not the best way to introduce yourself. I'm like, yeah, he has this uh, thing on his bulletin board still at his desk. It was a handwritten letter from a from a um from a from a hockey fan a star tribune reader and it says and he he loved the note so much he actually still to this day hangs it on his bulletin board it said young blood was the f- worst hockey movie ever made and you sir are the y- worst hockey writer oh wow yeah and that's what i tell rob Lowe. So. <laughs> yeah you know in the movie all those extras are uh the majority of the uh those extras that were players were members of um, the Toronto Marley Midgets at that time. And uh, uh, Mike Palmatier, the goalie for the Leafs, his brother was in it. There was a couple other guys I can't remember right now that, that were in it that uh, uh, were extras uh, uh, in the film. It was pretty pretty neat. Zezel you could have been in two movies. Yeah, What's Zezel. That? Zezel. Peter Zezel was in it, I think. Yep. And, and Steve Thomas. Sorry, guys. And Steve no Thomas. No problem. No, that's good. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, by the way, that was the voice of Jeff Demet, our uh, producer. Um, so appreciate uh, him uh, who listens into all these podcasts on this on uh, across our network. And one of our best, by the way. Um, and again, uh, this is straight from the source with Michael Russo to subscribe to straight from the source. Um, go to the athletic.com slash straight from the source. So uh, one of the best uh, of our podcasts is uh, Point Breakaway, which is uh, hosted by Shane O'Brien, the former NHL defenseman, and Josh Cooper, uh, who's one of our L.A. editors and a hockey writer. He used to cover the uh, Nashville Predators for the Tennessean as well. He used to be at Yahoo Sports. Now he's with The Athletic. Uh, Shea Weber, the captain of the Montreal Canadiens, is his guest, uh, their guest right, right now this week. And they've had, they always get uh, really great guests. They've had guys like Kevin Connolly from Entourage. They've had Getzlaff and Robitaille, and I'm pretty sure Berard and Mike Richards and Jarrett Stoll, who used to play for the Wild as well. Uh, who's uh, best known as Mr. Aaron Andrews. Uh, so again, listen to Point Breakaway this week, and you'll get to hear Sh- uh, Shea Weber. Um, Bruce, what else has been going on for you right now? Is it pretty much, I mean, this is such a weird time for all of us. Obviously, we're all quarantined. We're in the stay-at-home order here in Minnesota. Um, but it but it really does 
um, make you wonder, you know, Drew Doughty just came out today and really candidly says he doesn't see any way that hockey returns this year. Are you sort of in the same boat? You know what? Uh, I am. I don't want to be, but I am. Uh, uh, I, I really love the the game and, and the integrity of the game. And I just feel that if it, you know, if we go into May and say it's May 15th and they say, hey, okay, let's, everybody can go out and we can uh, hang out and everything. And, um, and we start playing in June, then, then, then that means next season's got to be delayed. And then probably it'll go further than that. And maybe the season after is delayed. And uh, you know what? I just believe as much as I want to see hockey and I want to, uh, uh, I would love it to, to be going on tonight. And um, is uh, I, you know, if, if they, if they said it was done and, and all the teams said, okay, Let's uh, June will be ready. Let's go through the draft in June again. Let's do um, uh, let's have the development camps. Let's start uh, and go at it and and call this a year like it was a lockout year. I mean, uh, um, uh, don't get me wrong. I mean, if they started tomorrow, I'd say great. I'd watch it and um, cheer for the teams that I cheer cheer for. But I mean, uh, just the longer it goes on, I think the tougher it's going to be for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Um, it, what do you think of the whole idea? Like the North Dakota thing is a bunch of crap. It's not happening. Um, but the league is. In fact, they had a meeting today, I believe, through sources. They they had a meeting today to discuss, um, you know, potential sites where they could have three or four cities that have multiple rinks, really nice hotels. Sorry, Grand Forks, but that's why the North Dakota thing ain't happening. Um you know, um, you know, places like technically XL Energy Center, Target Center, Ritter Arena, potentially other uh, college hockey rinks around the area um, that, that are NHL-sized rinks. Um, technically, they don't have to be gigantic rinks because we got to assume that the fans aren't going to be there. So um, it might mm-hmm. actually be smarter to play in three or 4,000-seat arenas. What do you think that would be like if we actually watch a playoff series with no fans in the crowd. I mean, you know, it's it's the fans that help jack up these players. It's you know, are we going to have no goal celebrations because guys are scared to hug each other? I mean, it just seems to me to be so weird to even consider. Well, it's really uncharted territory, and uh, I, I get the reasons why we want to do it and all of those things. But you're right; it would be different. It would be different if there's no fans in the building. Um, granted. Uh, we, no, I won't even say that. I was going to say, when I first started coaching, we, we did go to Florida with about 3,000 fans. <laughs> and uh, um, and even Washington, when I first got there, we were averaging 7,000 fans in a 19,000-seat arena. So it looked like there hey, was ha- how about uh, Chicago in the 90s? In Chicago in the 90s. But it's just – it's a different thing. But I think the players would still find the intensity because you're playing the enemy. Um whoever it is, but it just, it wouldn't be the same. I mean, no matter what, how you cut it, it's not the same. And, and to me, if you have four different uh, outlets and four city, four teams are playing in the same city um, with no fans in it, I mean, it still would be pretty tough to do. I mean, I hope they find a way. I know I have all the utmost respect for, Bill Daly and Gary Bettman and and Coley Campbell and if they if there is a way they'll they'll find it if it's if it's doable I just have a hard time imagining it right now. You still have respect for Coley even after he fined you during the Winnipeg playoff series. Yeah, <laughs> you know, 
You know what? I've gone after him on that a couple times, and he said I could have fined you twenty five thousand, and I, I that shuts me up in a hurry uh, when you only got five thousand. I mean, yeah. I I tell you, as a coach, every time I hear somebody um, say anything about refereeing right now, I I want to phone him and so much to see if he got fined because they keep those fines pretty quiet, but uh, um, I don't. I, I I look at it all. That brings me to my next subject. Are you uh do you are you familiar with the term term uh, GIF? Um, a little bit, yes. <laughs> are you aware that you're like the most gift human being maybe in hockey history? I'm really not um, comfortable with having that war honor, but uh, I am sort of aware of. I've seen a few of them. <laughs> We got to, we got to, there's a, there's a kid in the area, not a kid. He's, he's probably in his twenties, um, named Giles Farrell. And he put together 44 of the best Bruce Boudreaux gifts and put it in a library. And it's, it's honestly very, very, very entertaining. I, I've seen it. And, <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? It's funny. Cause I used to be a lot worse. And, and then when I'd get emotional, the team would get emotional and then we'd screw up. So I've tried to really curtail it in the last couple of years. Evidently, I'm going to have to go back to that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we were winning all the time when I'm like that as well. It's a good library, though, for the referees, too, because they now get to see when they when they messed up against you, right? Oh, they effed up a lot against me. And uh, <laughs> uh, every one of them come through, I tell you. And I think, uh, unfortunately, this is where my mom started phoning me and started saying you can't use that language on tv you know and would point her finger at me and and my kids would uh learn that learn the language in a hurry and now i'm worried about my grandkids and i'm going oh my god i gotta learn to use different words yeah my favorite uh gif there is of you it's probably the most uh easily broadcast one of you is the one where you you do say the f word but then the uh, the word darn comes across the screen i don't know if you've ever seen that one but that is still my favorite one <laughs> i want you well, there must have been tv that blocked my uh my thing out but i mean yeah I, and i've i've made some miscues too i've had some it's too bad they they don't have a a a couple of them here uh there was one referee that's a good friend of mine I tell a little story if you don't mind yeah um and he and he said hey listen you know what if you ever want to swear at me don't worry about it i'm not going to give you a penalty and he says we'll we'll talk it out and that'll be it so i'm in washington and and a play goes and i go hey ref and i used his name i said that's the worst effing call i ever seen and he turns around and he says what and i said f you and he goes f you f now all the players start grabbing me saying we're going to get uh, penalties. We're, 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 you're going to get kicked out of the game. Shut up. And I knew damn well that he wasn't going to do anything because <laughs> we just finished talking about it the day before uh, that we were allowed to yell at each other. Then we just looked at each other, smiled, and went back to the game. Uh, <laughs> and I and I remember telling Mike Knubel, he says, don't worry, it was a setup. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. I know who the ref is. Can I say or no? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he knows who it is too if he's listening, but 
He okay. used to be a neighbor of mine, so we'll leave it at yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I know, and you you ruined his uh, his potential sale price of his house, I he- I've heard, over the years. Well, you know, he kept yelling at me when we were in Hershey because the house was up for sale, and I kept dropping the price, and uh, he wanted to put his house up for sale. But my house went for so much under value that uh, uh, all the neighbors were tipping me. But at that point, I was in Anaheim. I just wanted to, to get the get rid of the house. It was up for sale for two years. And uh, he, I told him, I said, why don't you get, get all the neighbors and um, uh, buy my house and rent it out and, and buy it out for a high price. It'll keep yours at the same same level. But he didn't buy that. So, you know. Didn't you once after a bad call in Philly, like egg his house or something? Or am I making okay. that up? No, no. You're not making it up. I didn't, <laughs> didn't egg his house. I TP'd his house. And here's the thing. It was it was game seven of the playoffs in overtime. He calls a penalty on one of our guys, and on John Erskine, as a matter of fact, and they go in and they score. And uh, so three days later or four days later or a week later, whenever it was, I come, to, I come home and uh, um, I know he's next door. And but he's still probably <laughs> roughing series. So I go, I, I go up and I TP his whole house as if it's Halloween and like that. And uh, and was laughing my head off in the house. I probably had a couple cocktails in me when I did it. But um, <laughs> uh, I I went uh, about a, four days later and I knocked on the door and I said, uh, <clears throat> Paul, I just want to apologize for doing that, but. You've got the only pool in town on the on the block. We need to use your pool, so I'm apologizing to you for that. That is funny. And uh, since you just told everybody who it was, it is Paul. I Dvorsky, didn't say. So. I didn't say the last name. <laughs> There's only one Paul in the NHL. That's a referee or a famous ref. So Paul Stewart. Let's be honest. Oh, that's true. That's true. Paul Stewart is a f- former famous ref, famous ref. He was also one of the biggest cartoon characters in the league. Um, but Paul mm-hmm. Stewart, I'm pretty sure, was retired by the time that you started coaching in the NHL or close to it. I'm pretty so. sure he was. But it, Paul Stewart is uh, uh, hes such a character. And every, anybody that knows of Paul Stewart knows he's such a character. Yep. I've got a quick story with him. I think it was about 1987. Uh, I was in uh, Nova Scotia. And, and the new rule had just come across where if you shoot the puck over the glass in your own zone, it's a, it's a penalty. So uh, it's about five minutes into the game. And their guy gets it, shoots it clean out, and he says, blows the whistle, face off in the corner. So our coach tells me, I'm the captain, he says, uh, go ask him why it's no penalty. So I got a great picture in my house of it. So I'm, I go up to him and I say, Stewie, he says, you know the new rule. That's a penalty when you shoot it over the glass. And he looks at me stone-faced and he says, I don't like that rule. I'm not going to call it. <laughs> and... <laughs> so I just turned to the coach, shrugged my shoulders. What do you want me to do? Uh, he's not going to call it. He knows it's a penalty, but he just didn't like the rule. Yep. Referees, are they're, it's so funny. Like I was once in a concierge lounge in San Jose and another very well-known veteran referee. I went up to him one day and I'm like, I got to ask you a question. Like we just did a game the other day and Peter Worrell is, uh, gets absolutely just pummeled um, you know, dangerously with a stick. Um, he's bleeding all over the place. Like, oh, no, no, that was the thing. He wasn't bleeding all over the place. 
and 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 you just are staring at it and you don't call the other guy uh for a penalty i think we were in la and now he was doing the san jose game and he looks at me straight at it, straight and he goes to me he goes guys like warrell they're six six enforcers they've got to earn their penalties with me and i just like looked at him I'm like are you kidding me like like, like some refs they just they do they just feel that way that they're diff- different rules for different people and situations like that well, I think there are. I mean, you could you could look at the 93 playoffs if you want to go back far enough. And Gretzky high sticks Gilmore, um, yep. and and he's bleeding all over the place, but you don't call a penalty on him. I mean, uh, that's why I was mad at Paul for calling the uh, calling the penalty on Erskine. It was overtime, it tripped, but let it go. It was in the neutral zone. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, it is. It's interesting that that over the glass penalty. I know a lot of fans hate it, but I, I'm still like I remember when when the Panthers used to go to Pittsburgh all the time in the late '90s, and I used to watch Darius Kasparitis. That was his best clear was put the puck in the stands. He did it all yeah. the time. Anytime he was in trouble, he put flipped the puck in the crowd, and it was an, it became an epidemic to the point that I know this is this rule sucks. It sucks in a big game when a guy makes a mistake like that and their intent was not to to put it in this in the stands but but if you go back the other way we could have that again hey it's a great rule in my mind yeah. at the thing i was like didn't like it but it seemed like uh, so many accidental clears were going over the glass but when you think about it there's there's some games in, in the nhl now that are um no hitters and that there's no penalties called maybe one penalty from each team and it's the one one penalty that you have to call because it's it's there so sometimes if you don't see any penalties and you want to see a power play and they shoot it over the glass this is the only way you're going to get it because they've put their whistle away and they're not calling it right um by the way uh, how is your mom you mentioned her before 84 85 years old she lives alone in suburban toronto um you know we're in a in a scary scary time right now how is she doing and handling this well she's doing fine and uh she's going on 87 and she's getting a little nastier she we talked yesterday and she says you know this thing is starting to get to me and he says i'm ready to go to the grocery store myself now and uh, but I, you know, you'd beg her not to go and she's been quarantining herself. She's very smart like that, but, uh, mm-hmm. I can see, I can see how, you know, you want to get out. <laughs> we all want to get out and walk around and that's, thank God, uh, we got a dog because that's, that's where, uh, I just walked the dog all day. The, uh, one of the uh, stories that you've told before is that you've gone to like grocery shop with her and you, you say it is kind of an excruciating experience that it, she takes a while, right? <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's painful <laughs> because she'll go there being at the, her age. She's not going to get groceries and come home. Like with me, it's five minutes in, out, boom. She's there for two hours. She reads the labels off everything. This is an outing for her <laughs> it's like going to a movie or something but this is this is her outing and you better not be prepared to sit around and look like the same can of peas by five different makers you're reading every ingredient on the on the label isn't that actually last summer how you found out that paul fenton was let go is that you were just sitting in the parking lot in walmart because you just you refused to go into walmart with your mom and you were just sitting in the car, and that's when Leopold called you? 
That's true. That's true. I was sitting in there and she'd said, okay, I'm going to be out at one o'clock. So now it's one forty-five, and I'm biting my lip because I know I'm going to go in and she's going to say she lost track of time. And Craig phoned me at that time and told me Paul was let go. Oh my God. It's unbelievable. Oh, you got to love moms. Like uh, uh, one of my favorite of stories of my mom is when she first met you at Tria Rink a couple years ago, and you said to her, "You go, you need to be nice to Mike because he's grumpy. Because when he's grumpy, he writes grumpy." And my mom responded, "He's grumpy a hundred percent of the time." So, <laughs> you gotta love it. It's no, the truest it, thing my mother's ever said, by the way. Uh, she's a great lady. I remember having lunch with her, and um, she was very entertaining and very nice to hang out with. Yep. Well, thanks for saying that. Uh, yeah, she's also, I mean, I feel for her. She's down quarantining in Atlanta and, you know, her grandkids live three miles away and she can't even see them right now because my, my brother and his wife are, and, uh, are really obviously keeping, making sure that, that, uh, she doesn't get sick. Um, I have a bunch of Twitter questions for you. If you don't mind me asking, um, let me see here. Um, Danny Sussman asks, well, you, we talked about this. How are you coping uh, without hockey right now? Um, he also asks, uh, if, and of course I just erased the question. He also asks, um, what do you think about movie studios releasing movies to streaming services sooner right now? Um, uh, and how do you prepare your popcorn since their theater popcorn isn't readily available? Um, we saw that the other day. I think like something, a movie called The Gentleman uh, was just released right to Netflix or Amazon or something because, uh, because all these movie theaters are closed. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it's a smart idea on the movie people. People, they got to make some money. And uh, uh, for me, the only thing wrong is none of the movies that they've let out are anything I want to see yet. Um, now, w when it comes to Memorial Day weekend and stuff like that, if we're still in this thing, it'll be interesting on all those big summer movies whether they're going to release them to there. But I mean, as far as the popcorn goes, we got a popcorn maker at home and and a lot of diet coke so we're ready to go at any time but i mean i look every friday to see what new movies are released there because we're always looking for new ways at this point to entertain ourselves uh carson asks what's the worst sports movie you've ever seen Ooh, well goon would be right up there <laughs> you know i mean uh, uh th that's uh, that was pretty bad you know what there there's um, a, a funny hockey show. I don't know if it was a series or it was a, a one of these short flicks like the Three Stooges used to do in the 30s. But it was a 30s TV show or 30s movie called Gabby Dugan, King of Hockey. And they used to show it in between periods on, on um, Saturday night. Uh, and I'd watch it. And it was so bad. It was just bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Uh, your nickname, by the way, Gabby. Um, yeah, that's probably why I remember the movie uh, or remember the clips. You know what I watched the last couple nights that uh, was really fascinating was the Aaron, Aaron Hernandez documentary. Have you seen that? You know what? I've started to watch it. I just I don't know if I want to watch it because I used to, to love him as a, the tight end and that. And I don't want to know uh, how sort of disturbed and sick he was. Uh, so I, but I, I pass it every day, uh, on, on Netflix or on YouTube and whatever, uh, and, and, and I said, I'm going to watch it. And then I always pass it over. Um, I, you know what I, I've been just been really watching a lot of is trying, and I don't know why, maybe cause I miss hockey so much as emotional moments in sports. 
and I sit at home by myself and find myself freaking crying, um, watching, um, like I watched four or five times yesterday, if you remember the Blue Jays' seventh inning against Texas a few years back, maybe five years ago, and where they scored six runs and, and the crowd in Toronto was going nuts. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was so great. And uh, I do that, and then I'll watch, you know, um, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of baseball dynamic home runs or dramatic moments, ninth inning comebacks, and and things like that. So I mean, yeah. Um, well, it is. I mean, it's interesting. I, mean, I think all of us at the Athletic right now um, are doing st- like, and this this was not something planned. It's just something that like we're all doing because I think we all miss the sports that we cover. Is kind of picking one pivotal game that was like the most exciting game that you've ever covered or seen, and the one that I've picked that I'm writing about next week. Um, it was, I don't know if you remember this, you were still coaching Anaheim at the time, but the 2014 first round of the playoffs in game seven where the Wild beat uh, Colorado in in Colorado. And it was an amazing yeah, Nino, game. Nino, and amazing, yeah. Yep. It was an amazing game, Bruce. I'm telling you, like, first of all, this entire series, the home team won in game seven. So, mm-hmm. you know, Wild are down 2-0 in the series and they even at a 2-2. Then they lose and make it, uh, they, they lose in Colorado game five and it's a controversial ending of the game. One of the great linesmen in the league missed an offsides. Um, and I think it was Stasny that scored. And then Mike Yo, to his credit, Mike Yo after the game didn't lose his mind or anything. He just said, we, we lost. We got to go home and win game six. The Wild won game six divisively. Um, and then they go in, and, and they're down four different times in this game, Bruce. And uh, rally back and win on, on the Nino Niederreiter overtime with Spurgeon scoring with two and a half minutes left. And it was just an amazing, amazing game. Yes, I remember watching it, quite frankly. Uh, we were in the playoffs at the same time, and uh, it was an off night for us. And uh, I remember Nito's, Nino's goal. And if I recall, he came down the right wing and mm-hmm. took a shot over the left shoulder of uh, the goaltender in Colorado, and the place went nuts. And uh, yeah. I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah. Varlamov was the goalie. And uh, for that story, by the way, uh, this will come out, I think, next Monday, as long as I get down to writing it. Uh, as I mentioned uh, on Twitter today, I'm, I'm juggling like four giant stories at once here that's actually starting to make me a little uh, panicky. But I've, I've talked to everybody from uh, Niederreiter and Suter and uh, Spurgeon. I talked to for 25 minutes uh, yesterday or a couple days ago um, to Ilya Brzgalov and Danny Heatley. Uh, Ilya, one of your favorite people. Um, <laughs> I've talked to everybody. I've talked to Yo. I'm talking to Brodziak later today. In fact, he just texted me during this podcast. I'm talking to um, I'm talking to even the referee for that game, Wes McCauley. Um, I'll probably talk to Tony DaCosta. Um, talk to Anthony LaPanta because there's a well-known uh, situation that Anthony and I had in the press box that night as well. Um, so yeah, it's uh, that was it is something. I think it's what you just said is what we're all doing now is like we're trying to watch what we can't watch right now because sports is just missing from all of our lives. Oh man, yeah, and there's so many uh, so many games I want to watch over again and and can't get a hold of them. And like uh, right now, I'm sitting there at home and I talked to my son. And I said, you know what I'd like to see is um, just the difference when my first year here when we went through that 12 game winning streak to watch how we came back when we had to and and how we played. And I just thought that was such an exciting thing. And then to lose to Columbus, mm-hmm. for example, when they were on a 15-game winning right. streak. And, uh, uh, I mean, uh, just the buildup to that game was was really, uh, really great. I mean, because there's not yeah. – I don't know if ever in, in history has a team that's won 15 in a row played against a team that's won 12 in a row uh, at any one point. And, no, that was and, the first time. 
And then I know yeah. uh, I, I got a call from Washington this morning. They want to go over one of the playoff games uh, uh, we played, you know, um, uh, against the, the Rangers when I was there. And uh, and so I was looking for that game, and I can't couldn't find it. But um, at this stage, but those are the things we're doing now. We're we're, we're trying to uh, remember the a the past and and the positive moments you've seen and and remember about the sports you love and um, hopefully there's time you can make more memories. But right now you can't make any. Um, yeah, no doubt. Uh, Jonathan Brill asked you a good question. What are Bruce's top three greatest achievements in hockey? Um, I thought it was going to be in all your sports uh, uh, history when you were a star track star in high school. Um, no, I don't think that that included uh, included <laughs> that. But uh, my, I guess if, if off the top of my head, um, it, it all comes with championships. And uh, I think um, winning the Memorial Cup twice with the Leaf uh, with the Marlies was 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 tremendous. One being uh, one, I was the captain. Um, the winning in Hershey, uh, the Calder cup, winning the, the, the championship in the East coast league. And you know, that one just uh, as far as games go is I know it's East coast league, which is double a, but we were down three to one going into the third period in game seven. We got three to two. They made it four to two and we tied up two uh, with two minutes to go and one in triple overtime. Uh, I thought was, it was a pretty amazing story. And, uh, but I mean, those are, are things as far as personal uh, goals go. I mean, uh, I was lucky enough to get a lot of points in the minors and, and in junior and, and probably right up there uh, was, you know, they were right up there. But one, one moment that I think now that I'm talking about it, that stands out is, is when I was playing with the Leafs, um, we we uh, beat Montreal one night three to two. My and it might have been the last time my mom. I don't even know if my mom was in the stands, but it, it, my dad was in the stands, and uh, I got a goal and assist. And and the next morning, my brother was on the front page of the of the paper um, playing soccer, and I was on the front page of the sports section. And and. I'll always remember that is that's a really cool Boudreaux moment. So mm -hmm. that's awesome. Um, Dean asks uh, your single favorite memory as a wild coach. Um, one of my favorite memories of your, you as a wild coach was in Toronto when your mom came to the one game where you guys were down to nothing, a shift into the game and, uh, and you guys rallied back um, uh, on a, just a huge, and I think Coyle wound up getting the winner. Maybe I'm wrong. I can't remember. Um, but it, but you guys wound up winning in Toronto and your mom's first uh, game in seeing you play in Toronto, seeing you coach in Toronto since uh, you played there. Yeah, that was a great moment. And Coyle did score. I mean, he got a rebound and went on his backhand and put it up top, if I recall correctly. But um, uh, you know what? I had a lot of great moments, uh, I think, in Minnesota. Uh, a lot of them in the first year, we had 106 points. Um, and I wish we could have had some more playoff success. That would have been uh, the real feather in the cap for me. But I mean, uh, all those all those games. I mean, I, I got to admit, I miss uh, I miss the coaching and being behind the bench, and and it's just the the crowd and everything else that goes with it uh, is going to always be a great memory. 
Yeah, I mean, and by the way, we got a lot of uh, tweets from people um, saying how much they missed you. And I don't know if you saw, I did a wild poll the other day where you won as a landslide as the most popular wild coach in history over even Jacques Lemaire, which uh, says wow. everything about uh, what you've meant to uh, wild fans here. You really did, you know, kind of get screwed in the playoffs here in the two years that you made it, Bruce. Um, if you think about your first year in Dallas, you, you're without Parisi, you're without Thomas Vanek. Um, Dubnik, remember in, was it in practice breaks his finger on the first like shot from Jason Pominville in practice and played the entire series with broken bone on his hand. Um, and then your second one, obviously in Winnipeg, I mean, <laughs> you know, you lose Ryan Suter a couple games left in the season with an absolute devastating injury. You lose Parisi in that series. Jared Spurgeon's playing on a hamstring. That's probably 10%. You're playing with a, a blue line that is just extremely young and inexperienced. Uh, it, it, that was a tough call. It was a tough call. And, you know, uh, the other thing about that series it's that, you know, obviously we talked about it earlier. I still believe we're down two games to one. We have a power play. If Stahl's penalty is called, and that's a five-minute major for cross-checking to the head, and I think it was Morrissey, he would have uh, – and he didn't get a penalty, but uh, – he got the assist on the one nothing goal. It ended up 2 nothing. They scored with eight seconds to go in the game. But I'm sure uh, we would have won that game. And then who knows? You're going into their building. I mean, it was unfortunate for Doobie the next game. Well, had a rough first period, and that was, the, that was it. But um, uh, that series, I think we would have made a lot closer than people would have thought. The series before in St. Louis, I thought there was, it was just bad luck. Uh, by us I mean um, Jake Allen uh, stood on his head and you know it's a five game series two games go to overtime of which uh, we don't win them um, and they score an empty net goal in, in the other game so th that's what playoffs are all about it can go one way or the other uh, you've seen it a thousand times I don't want to uh, you know just to keep I do uh, do it over in my mind an awful lot but I mean, that's that's sports, man. You miss one way, you score the other way, and and that's the difference between winning and losing. And everybody hears about the winners and the losers lament, and that's uh, and, what we do. And I did have a total brain freeze. I was actually John Trichetti coaching the Dallas series. Uh, I so wasn't going to – I was never going <laughs> to correct you. I know. That was uh, that was uh, very subtle the way that you did correct me, but I appreciate it. Um, yeah, we had the one uh, in St. Louis. Uh, remember the one – the one series in St. Louis where I made you walk off the podium. That's the only time you did that. And I was so frustrated because <laughs> we were down three games to none at the time. And uh, I don't even know, but I hadn't had time to um, uh, calm down yet. That's the one thing that, or, you know, what George and, and Chuck used to do uh, with me is they always calm me down before I went in there and in an emotional game and they'd say, what's your point going to be? What's your, what's your main thing going to be today that you're talking about? And, and I tell them and, and they would say, okay, okay, let's go do it. And, uh, uh, I thought that was a great, um, thing that GMs do. Yeah. Uh, Dean also asks, who's your favorite, uh, wild player that you ever coached? My favorite wild player. Um, uh, it's you know what it's I don't want to sound really goofy here because I've had a lot of them I I like an awful lot of the players that we've had but I mean as a guy that pays attention goes does his job uh, works his butt off and was undrafted or was drafted late uh, Jared Spurgeon is 
to me a model of uh, of a guy that uh, uh, just I mean, if you say you can't do it, go out and do it and prove everybody wrong. And, you know, the great thing I liked about Jared, other than the fact that he's a really good player and a really good person, was that when you're talking, uh, and I think all coaches would attest to this, when you're going around the room and talking, he's staring you right in the eye. And he's listening, and he's going out and doing what the coach is asking. And I've always admired him for that. Uh, always admired him for his professionalism, but I mean, there's a lo- there's a lot of guys that I- I've admired on that in this organization. Yeah, and he is uh, he is right there. I talked to him on Saturday, uh, Bruce, for 25 minutes, and only f- five or 10 minutes was for the story. I mean, you know, he's just w- such a great great person uh, to to deal with, and uh, we're lucky that he signed here. From a selfish perspective, as a beat writer, we're lucky that he signed here for another seven years. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and when he's playing healthy and at his best, the team is winning. Yep, no doubt. Um, here's an interesting one. I, I don't know if you're going to answer it, but um, but but it, it will give us a, a little opportunity to talk about uh, your future. But uh, this person asks, and I'm sorry, I, I erased uh, who asked the question when I copied it onto my f- file. But uh, this person says, "What are some of the teams that Bruce would like to coach next year, if, if possible?" I know that's a tough question to to, a- to answer. Oh, it is. It is. If I was a player and I was in my 30s, I'd say, well, geez, you know what? Uh, I'd really like to go to a team that uh, is contending for the cup. Now, I think um, as a coach, uh, you, you would always like that for sure. But usually coaches uh, don't get a chance to go to teams that are contending for the cup because they're happy with the coach they have. But uh, I, I just want to coach. I think I've still got a lot to give. I think I've got a lot of energy as far as uh, uh, getting up and going to work and staying at work and 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 doing uh, thinking about hockey and um, and I think I still can uh, relate to the the young players as well as the older players. So uh, as far as any team goes, I mean I hate to see guys get fired, but if teams uh, if teams are looking for somebody else, I would love to be give be given the opportunity to coach that team. Is it, a, is it concerning about because everything is so unknown in this world right now that if let's just say hockey does come back and the cup is awarded in late August somehow or September, and then they have like a three or four week transition period before the next training camp that includes a draft and free agency and things like that, that that could hurt your chances of being a coach because that, because GMs frankly won't have time to maybe do your normal full search because in such an accelerated fashion before the next training camp. Well, that's true too, but at the at the same time, I'll say that um, uh, there are teams that are going to get beat out in the first round and not going to mm-hmm. make the playoffs, and those are usually the teams that uh, look to make a change. And I think they would have ample time to make a change if they wanted to and still get, get along with the business that they want to. Um, Colin asks, uh, you've talked a little bit about it. What was your favorite part of being the coach of the Minnesota Wild? You know what? Um, quite frankly, if we're not talking hockey, it was the people. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you could go around town here and you could talk, sit and talk hockey with anybody. Uh, it was it was always fun. Uh, if I'd go to Tom Reed's, there's always a uh, few people in there that want to either say hi or ask questions about it. It's a real hockey town, um, and, and I love that about it. But uh, uh, the only thing I don't, didn't like about it is 
two snowstorms in April. <laughs> exactly. Like I mean, this was about this was about the date that we had that snowstorm yep. against Winnipeg. You know, it was yep. pretty close to it. I'm just, but uh, everything about this, the the town, the area, the people uh, are fabulous, and uh, uh, I love. I was love being here. Uh, Glenn asks, um, "Have you ever been to northern part of Minnesota? I can't remember if we've ever." Um, done a uh, we I don't think we did a training camp in Duluth. Um, have you been to the northern Minnesota or any trips with the Blue Ox or anything like that? Nope, Malax is the northest. Is that north? I think uh, uh, is the furthest I've mm-hmm. been uh, out of here. I'm pretty well uh, a Woodbury, St. Paul kind of guy at this stage. But um, uh, you know what? We we really talked heavily about uh, whether we were going to go up to Duluth for training camp. Um, last year and we decided to go to Colorado because of the preseason games and and that worked out really well I thought um, but the Duluth thing was was definitely uh, in the offing of going in the next year or two that's awesome a couple more uh, minutes with uh, Bruce Boudreaux as well and again uh, very appreciative of him uh, joining uh, straight from the source with Michael Russo again to subscribe to the athletic the athletic dot com slash straight from the source um, question here from a really good question from Rob Lewis uh, asked what coach does Bruce respect most that he's coached against in the NHL well that is a great question and, and there's so many good ones I mean uh, um, uh, you know I've lost uh, to Peter Laviolette twice uh, in the playoffs Um I've lost to Babcock in the playoffs, uh, and they were really good. Uh, all of those guys are, you know, I mean, Daryl Sutter was really, really tough to go to coach against. I thought Joel Quenville probably was the toughest coach to match lines against, and he was really good at it. Him and Randy Carlisle were really good at matching lines, and they were stubborn enough to hold on um, until you – broke down and decided to get out, get out of the matchup. Right. Um, here's another, uh, funny question. Um, uh, let me, um, JC Werner asks, uh, what's the monthly food bill for that cute little puppy of yours? Uh, I don't know if it's little, but definitely. No, cute. it's about 140 pounds now. And the food bill is going up because he eats all of my food. Uh, on the, on the, he just sits at the feet of me, and when when dinner's coming, he could be outside. He smells the food. He comes running in. He'll just sit right there until uh, Bruce gives him something to eat. So, uh, I mean, and I don't mind during this time because, I mean, what else do we do is sit at home and eat, and, and we're <laughs> trying not to do this. I'm afraid to look at myself in the mirror um these days but uh, the the dog the dog eats a lot i don't know this thing is and i hope it's done growing because uh he's always hungry uh dixie is uh, the dog's name it's a it's a newfoundland right yeah um and the, one of the great videos i have uh, by the way if you don't know the uh, what what the newfoundland looks like just google probably boost booger on dog i've done like three or four stories on on dixie um but one of the great videos on my phone that i still uh have never put out is brady sent it to me your son uh your youngest son he sent it to me of uh of dixie getting trying to get at one of the cats that was on one of your staircases and tries to jump over the uh, <laughs> gate 
Yeah. And gets stuck on the gate, and it's Brady just basically trash talking the dog without helping the dog, and poor <laughs> Dixie is just stuck on top of the di- gate, and it's the funniest video I think I've ever seen in my life. It, it is a good video, and, but the the thing is, these cats that we got three cats too. They know exact because we've got an in, uh, an invisible fence on the stairs where Dixie knows he can't go above it. And they get to the step above the invisible fence and they just look at him and they stare at him and they just beg him to try to come across it. <laughs> and they know he's going to get zapped. So they're just playing with him all the time. That is funny. Um, let me ask you about Brady. I mean, uh, assistant coach of the Blue Ox helps Crystal, your wife, uh, run the Blue Ox as well. What will be the future of uh, your junior team that plays in Coon Rapids? Um, does it really depend maybe on whether Brady stays here or if you leave here or what is that? Well, what will that entail? Well, you know what? A couple things. I think, uh, I told the players at the, and their, and their parents at the last meeting that we loved this. This wasn't just, we didn't know when we got into it, what we were going to think, but, uh, there's no way we want to sell it. I think, um, Crystal and Brady and Jay would have done a great job of, of growing, um, uh, not only an audience, but people that, now are fans of the blocks. It's not a, a fly by night, uh, organization. And, and, you know, we plan on keeping it. I mean, I don't know what the future two, three, five, ten 10 years, uh, hold, uh, holds up to it, but Brady, uh, loves them. Uh, he loves the, the aspect of coaching and wants to keep learning. Um, so that's, you know, uh, wherever I am ne- next year, Crystal will probably be coming flying back every two weeks to, <laughs> to run the show there. But I mean, uh, we're going to keep the team and we hope uh, that the, the people of Coon Rapids and the surrounding areas keep coming uh, to, to watch them. Brady, uh, the former uh, Blue Ox goalie and equipment manager, by the way, uh, now assistant coach and helping run the team. And one of my favorite stories I've ever written at the athletic was on Brady. Um, you can Google uh uh, Brady Goudreau, Brady Boudreau, and you'll be able to find that story as well. Um, let me ask you about Ben Boudreau, the uh, first-year coach of Fort Wayne Comets. Uh, this man had to be a tough, tough way to end his inaugural uh, year oh. to have this pandemic, uh, to have that pandemic stop everything. Well, yeah, for Ben, they were in the middle of it. They were playing great, too. I mean, they'd just gotten healthy. They'd won like 10 out of 12, and they were solidly in the playoffs. And... Um, uh, when when the East Coast once this happened, they closed it down right away. There was no pause or anything else. They they said they were done. So it was like losing Game Seven of a playoff uh, game. It was like one minute you're all gung ho and you're all in, and then the next minute you're not there. And uh, uh, so he's uh, you know we talk every day. He's losing his mind a little bit too, but. Uh, I told him, if you're going to lose your mind, get used to it. You're a coach, so it uh, it happens. <laughs> but he uh, he loved it. He enjoyed his first year. Uh, he's looking forward to his his next year and his future. And you know, he started coaching a lot earlier than I am. I did, so hopefully, he'll have uh, more success. Didn't you say that uh, after you were let go here in Minnesota that that you went and visited him and he wanted you to either come on the ice or actually come on the bench with him and you were like ah that's not a good idea yeah that's not a good idea and that's what I told they, <laughs> they, once I went home they were saying Dad why don't you uh, come here and be the assistant coach and I told him I said Ben I love you but if I was the <laughs> assistant coach I'd be slapping you around and making changes myself so I don't think it would be a good idea. 
Um, last question um, is a good one. And of course, again, I, I forgot to write down who asked it. So I apologize to that uh, reader as well. But somebody asked about Kevin Fiala and, and, and just the way that he took off the, the final month of the season, uh, starting really with your last four or five games as coach as well. Um, what I think is a really cool story is you were telling me that, that um, you know, despite the tough love that you showed him the first uh, month of this season with a couple scratches and things like that, one of your first calls after you let go was from Kevin Fiala thanking you. Um, where Are you shocked that he became the kind of quote-unquote game breaker that he became um, really the last month, month and a half of the season? Um, if you had asked me this at the end of last year, I would have said absolutely. Um, yeah. If you had asked me that the first 30 games this year, uh, I would have said absolutely. But when he put his mind to it, and, you know, the, we had to sit him out, and I had more meetings with him than any any player. Um, but I think the, 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 we had a meeting, and it was about eight games or nine games before I was let go. I mean, he went through a stage where he got 10 points in five games, but he was playing really, really good. And, and, and I told him, I said, Kevin came in and he said he wanted he, if he could get more ice time. And I said, well, if I can trust you, you'll get more ice time. And... Um, and he, he went to it and, and, and he started doing it and he started doing things where he was on the ice in the last 10 minutes and the last seven minutes, the last five minutes. And once he started gaining the confidence that the coach had confidence in him, he took off and, uh, uh, he, you know, in his first year with us, the things he did, he, he tried very hard, but I mean, he would, he would turn over pucks all the time. And he would just worry about, you know, was worried about him making the play. And then towards the end, if he didn't have the play there, he got it deep. And then he'd go after it. And then he'd work at both ends of the ice. And, and I just see great things. If he continues with that attitude, uh, I think he's going to be a great player in the league. And Paul was right. Like, I mean, we all scoffed at him. And uh, I was one of the ones that did it. Uh, as a matter of fact, I remember doing it at, uh, on your show at the the fair last year and and but when he puts his mind to it the potential's there and i just hope he can continue it and that uh, it doesn't take another half a season before he gets going when this when the season starts yeah no doubt about that and that that'll be the biggest key now is that he put together a really fine five weeks six weeks of the season to end things off here and now the key will be can he put together a really fine five to six months like some of the stars that you've coached in this league the the, the Alex Ovechkins and the Nicholas Backstroms yeah if he can do that like I mean because we talked about his next contract and I mean uh, um, which way was he going to go was he going to be the star that we all thought he could be or was he going to be uh, you know, like a, a not a journeyman, that's not the right word, but just an average 15-goal, 20-assist uh, guy during the course of the year. And um, uh, he really wanted to be the go-to guy. And I said, if you want to be the go-to guy, you've got the ability to do that. You just got to commit to it, and you got to commit to it on a daily basis. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was really exciting to see, and that's what I thought when I earlier this year is I th I wondered like I covered Victor Kozlov in Florida, who a lot of people thought when he first got into the NHL that he was going to be the Russian Mario Lemieux, and he hardly was that. He always left you wanting more, and there have been so many across times across time, so many of those players in NHL history that have 
clear have clearly the talent to be a star, but just always leave you wanting more. And it looks like Fiala has finally figured it out and and played unbelievable down the stretch. Well, he is young, you know. I mean, yep. we had to give him that opportunity, and he, he's young enough that I think he's still got the uh, the time ahead of him that he needs to become a real star. Well, Bruce, uh, if you are still in town uh, come late August, and if uh, social distancing is a thing of the past where they don't cancel the State Fair, I'd love to do a, a third Bruso radio with you at the uh, State Fair. I know you love that term. Um, but love to do it at, at the KFAN booth. That would be absolutely fun because it was one of my favorite times with you uh, the last couple of training camps. Well, I hope uh, uh, I hope I'm in town, but I have a job somewhere. But uh, um, because I, I would love to do it as well, I'd love to be able to say goodbye to all the people that uh, uh, appreciated. Uh, uh, I don't know if appreciated was the right word, but just showed me a lot of uh, of support in the past so it would be it would be a fun time so hopefully we get it done well thanks bruce uh thanks again for the uh for the long uh podcast here again bruce was the first ever uh straight from the uh source guest way back in september so really appreciate him coming on again and don't forget to please rate and subscribe straight from the source on apple if you click on the show url which is the athletic.com slash straight from the source you'll get 40 percent off your subscription to the athletic if you're listening on the athletic website or the athletic app Please make sure you follow straight from the source and you always know when a new podcast is up. Thanks, Bruce, for joining me. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Mike. And good talking to you, Punch.